Partridge. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm really glad to welcome you to our third uh, of a four-part series in the evenings this month on biblical hospitality. So um, we first heard uh, two weeks ago, I have listened to part of the sermon, we weren't able to be here, but uh, Pastor Greg Mead, who is in a fellow uh, PCA church out in East Liverpool, he preached about the hospitable spirit of our good shepherd Jesus through the prophetic uh, word of Psalm 23. Last week, Pastor Aaron Garber of our Calvin Church in North Huntington gave us a wonderful survey of the biblical motif of feasting and how that motif powerfully teaches us of just how gracious is this God that we serve. When Greg Mead, the part of Greg Mead's sermon that I did hear, um, he called himself a relative newbie to practicing biblical hospitality. He and his wife are in a church that is in a declined area, and they are finding hospitality as a way to bring people in. Well, this week, friends, I'm going to, spoiler alert here, we're going to hear from a seasoned practitioner of biblical hospitality. In fact, it's a generational thing in the Smith family, as you'll hear. Peter Smith is the pastor of Covenant Fellowship, Reformed Presbyterian Church in Wilkinsburg. That's actually where Tracy and I worshiped our first 20 years in Pittsburgh. It's where we were married. It's where our kids were baptized. So we're thrilled to have Pete here to preach, and I'm even more thrilled to have his father, our first pastor in Pittsburgh, is Ken Smith, and uh, Ken has been my mentor for 42 years, so we're glad to have him here. Our call to worship, which I'll, we will do in just a minute, um, speaks of this God who is both totally transcendent and yet imminent. And we really see his imminence in how he cares for the outcasts. So let's stand and call one another to worship from Psalm 68. I will read the part of the leader. Please respond with the part of the people. Let's worship the Lord together. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out prisoners to prosperity but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father, we want to not only say these words, but believe them deeply in our hearts and see you as this God who is both totally transcendent and above and high and holy, and yet the God who, through his people, becomes a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows and settles the solitary in a home. Lord, you are... An amazing God. You are full of mercy 
and compassion for sinners like us. We thank you for inviting us into this time where you meet, you offer to meet specially with your people in corporate worship. Would you tune our hearts to sing your grace tonight? Would you capture our thoughts and our imaginations and our thinking with this theme of, Father, how you want us to be a hospitable people for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to be known in our communities. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on every part of this service, our singing, our praying, our hearing the word, and most of all, Lord, help us to respond to that word tonight. Father, accept this worship that we offer uh, through the person and work of your dear son, and we do pray in his name. Amen. Let's remain standing. Let's sing to God's glory.
are still God, I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. I will bring praise, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. I will bring praise, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the
You may be seated. Forgive me, I neglected to mention that um, in order to encourage participation in our evening service this month, we do have a nursery that's available right next door. So if your children need some help, need some space, uh, the nursery is available, and we encourage you to use it. Well, we have what we call a confessional time uh, that we enter into intentionally. Uh, it has been said that confession is good for the soul. Um, I don't think that's written in the Bible anywhere, but I think it's a really biblical idea. In fact, I would say confession is essential for the soul, right? And that's not just vertical confession, that's horizontal as well. And we find in this section on page five, uh, a very, very searching question from the Lord as we're called to confess who we are, get real with God, realize that he is holy and we are not. And then the prayer of confession will search our hearts. And then we receive a wonderful gospel promise from Isaiah. Let me read the call to confession from Micah. We'll pray together corporately. We then try to make it personal through silent confession and then hear gospel hope. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray together this prayer of confession. Lord, I want to do what is good, not just so I can escape punishment or be seen by others as good, but because it really is good. And yet I constantly fail to do what is good by your standards. I do not seek justice. I have little concern for the oppressed. I seldom speak or act for the orphan or widow because I am preoccupied with my own concerns. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for I cannot cleanse myself. I ask you to change my heart Teach me, Lord, to love what you love. Help me, Lord, to love how you love. Amen. Please continue to pray. Hear the words now of the prophet Isaiah. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. We have a short corporate prayer uh, time in the evening. We will have one member of our congregation pray. And then I will uh, end the time 
with a prayer for our uh, offering and song of renewal. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the time that we get to spend together at, um, as a church. Uh, thank you especially for our youth, uh, for our youth group and the kids in our youth group around that age. God, I thank you for the ways that we've been able to uh, serve them and try to bring together a community. And uh, yeah, God, I pray that you will help the youth leaders to continue to foster relationships with the kids. And um, I pray that you will help us to create environments where we can all talk about our faith, both the adults and the kids. Um, Yeah, I pray that you will give us wisdom and guidance and um, turn this into a blessing for them and for the whole church. Uh, God, I pray the kids will feel like they truly are part of the body of Christ, because they are. Um, So please help us to uh, usher them into the family as much as we can. In Jesus' name. Dear Father, we do want to uh, thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us as a church. And um, Father, you've given us... um, pastors and elders and deacons and women's council members uh, to lead, and I'm thankful that you've given us a congregation that are willing to be led. And so, Father, as we begin this new year with new ministry initiatives, as we begin here in the evening to learn what it means to be not only hospitable, but how that can open doors for the gospel, would you give us not only listening ears, but hearts to obey and then the hands and feet to do the work that hospitality calls us to. Lord, I want to pray a special prayer for uh, our senior pastor, Matt Kerber, as he is with his mother, helping her recover from surgery. And Lord also hopes to take this study week to uh, prepare for uh, future um, projects this coming spring, Lord, with seminars and a Bible reading plan for our church. Father, would you give Matt, both the presence to help his mom and also the uh, ability to read and think and and dwell and pray with you in his study leave and then bring him home safely to us. Um, Father, we thank you for the incredible material provision that you have provided through our church. Would you give us wisdom as leaders to know how to best steward uh, these gifts? I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So as, if you're a regular here, you know we don't pass an offering in the evening. If you have come prepared to give an offering, however, there is a box in the back. You can put it there. Um, We also, during this time, not only offer gifts, but we also reflect back on our confessional time. So this song is a great way to do that. Let's remain seated as we ask Jesus to make all things new. Tarry not, bring the long looked for day. Oh, I these years of waiting here, these ages of delay. Come for your saints still wait, daily ascends their side. 
the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, do you not hear our cry? Oh, come and make all things new. Come and make all things new. Come and make all things new. Build up this broken earth. Come and make all things new. Make all For creation grows impatient while you stay, worn out in labor, pains of hope, still bound by earth's decay. Come for love waxes cold. Its steps are faint and slow. Our faith is pressed by unbelief. Hope's lamp burns dim and low. Oh, come and make all things new. Come and make all things new. Come and make all things new. Build up this broken earth. Come and make all things new. Oh, come and make all things new. Come and make all things new. Come and make all things new. Build up this broken earth. Come and Before I invite our guest preacher forward, um, I just want to give you a little story that I think describes why I called Peter and the Smith family before seasoned practitioners of hospitality. So I've told this story before about our family. I'm not going to go into detail, but 33 years ago, right now in January, we had premature twins on our hands. They came at 28 weeks. And uh, in Pete's sermon title here, it's just what it was for us. Arrive unannounced, stay as long as you'd like. Well, we kept the twins. They arrived unannounced. And the day of arrival, I actually, by God's grace, instead of going to work, I had to go to the plumbing place to get a part because we had plumbing issues. And I came back home to find my wife in labor. Well, we had two little boys. Three and one and a half. What are we going to do? We called Peter and Vicky. Peter was in seminary at the time, I do believe, and they lived two doors up because Covenant Fellowship had this thing of practicing hospitality in their community life. So we actually had several families living nearby one another in, in Wilkinsburg. 
So we arrived unannounced with our boys, and they took them and had them all day because we were at the hospital. So Peter practices what he's going to preach to you tonight. Peter, would you come forward and um, tell us about what it means to welcome strangers unannounced and invite them to stay. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. While you're turning there, this uh, title, Arrive Unannounced, Stay As Long As You Like, is how a Harley-Davidson corporation described the retail experience. Uh, I used to be a shareholder, got corporate reports, and they did a whole analysis in one of their corporate reports, and this stuck with me. Arrive unannounced, stay as long as you like. And they said this, a Harley-Davidson dealership is an oasis where every kind of Harley rider can find every kind of genuine custom part, a solid bit of advice, or the latest stories from the road. And they always find a welcome atmosphere. Each customer has individual needs, says this dealer. Whether they're a longtime customer or newcomer, our staff personally welcomes everyone as they walk through the door. That's a retail experience. Would that describe a newcomer's experience at City Reformed? Would a newcomer or a guest describe your church as an oasis? Would you? Is this your experience with your church? This is what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as those in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. The writer here does a play on words. Let Philadelphia continue. Do not neglect philoxenia, the love of the stranger. And this is the posture of the healthy church. There's brotherly love, but there is love for the stranger. And I wrote a doctoral dissertation on hospitality as it applies to the small church interacting with the homeless. So my ministry question is, how can the small church respond to the issue of homelessness, and it was through the practice of Christian hospitality. And here's how I define Christian hospitality. It is to show the spiritual grace of welcoming strangers into our community and social network with the offer of food, shelter, protection, care, and social interaction with no concern for personal advantage or ambition. And maybe a little more than what you think of with hospitality. So I'll read it to you again. It's the spiritual grace of welcoming strangers into our community and social network with the offer of food, shelter, protection, care, and social interaction with no concern for personal advantage or ambition. Paul writing to the Romans, 
in Romans chapter 12, says we are to pursue it. That's different from waiting for the stranger to show up. We're actually to pursue hospitality. And here in Hebrews chapter 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers is actually redundant in the ESV. Because hospitality means love the stranger. It is the actual definition. But we live in a society in a time now where there are questions about immigration, crime, terrorism, and we're being pushed towards more xenophobia, the fear of the stranger. So in light of that, the practice of philoxenia, the love of the stranger, is needed more than ever. We need to be done with stranger danger. And if you're of my generation, you probably remember that. I don't know if they still teach that to children now or not. But the moment that gets ingrained, it gets ingrained. And so I live now in fear or suspicion of the unknown, the different, the strange. So instead of seeing something else in the stranger, I immediately see the potential for danger. Rather, in the Christian church, we should be the first to reach out to strangers. And I define a stranger this way, those disconnected from basic relationships that give persons a secure place in the world. So those are the the strangers. They are disconnected from the basic relationships that give persons a secure place in the world. I know that you have also been looking at the text of Peter, where Peter says to show hospitality, and his call to hospitality is in the context of of urgency that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, show hospitality. And that's similar to the text here in Hebrews 13. Show Philadelphia, continue to show love of the brethren, don't neglect to love strangers, and then remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, those who are mistreated since you are in the body. There's an increased threat of persecution. That's what the church is experiencing here at the, in the first century. And particularly in Hebrews, the pressure on Jewish Christians to return to Judaism. So he says, remember those in prison. Well, our day and age, we might be seeing an increased threat of persecution ourselves. And it may make the need for hospitality ever greater in the Christian community. So are you ready? Are we as the Christian church prepared and ready to receive perhaps refugee Christians or Christians who are suffering for their faith in some other place? Now obviously you can show a certain degree of welcome by greeting new persons when they show up here. You can show a certain degree of interest when a new person shows up at church. But true hospitality calls us to extend welcome to strangers from the comfort and the security of our homes. It's something more than entertaining. Entertaining is what we do with our friends 
They come over for a few hours. We might eat dinner, play games, do whatever, have snacks. And then they go home. So we entertain one another. But hospitality goes deeper. And you might start to think, okay, there are some challenges here. And one of them is that not all strangers are strange to us in the same way. I am a stranger to many of you. But because I was invited to preach, and Jim has told you that we have a long history, my guess is that you would all find me safe. Well, he's an ordained minister, a friend of Jim's. He's safe. Students show up at City Reform. They show an interest in you as a church because they show up onto your turf. They perhaps look like you. They have similar educational attainments. They come from a similar socioeconomic background. They are like you in many, many ways. They speak your language. They make few demands. They're safe. Happy to welcome those. Family shows up. Well, it's a family. They have children. They're also probably safer. They may be unknown. They might come with a reference. Again, they might speak your language. They come perhaps from a distant church, and so they know some people. They know who reform people are. They're also safe because they have children. But then my friend Chuck comes, and he is unknown to you, and he is unlike you in many ways. He looks different. He smells different. He talks different. He does not have your educational refinements. You quickly discover he comes with addiction. He comes with a rap sheet. And he's broke. He is assuredly not safe. Is he welcomed like me? Is he welcomed like the student? See, as demands rise, our welcome tends to diminish. Happy to maybe interact with somebody in public space, but perhaps not in my private space. But hospitality, the love of the stranger, is inconvenient. It is disruptive, it's costly, and it is perhaps sometimes dangerous. The writer of the Hebrew makes an allusion here to welcoming strangers, and some have welcomed angels without knowing it. And you immediately think, if you know your Bible, the visit of God and the couple of angels to Abraham, and then two angels go to Sodom. And Lot receives them. 
There is nothing to indicate in the text that Lot knew them to be angels. But he welcomes them. And the benefit, of course, a lot is that he's rescued from the destruction of Sodom. But while he's hosting the angels, the neighborhood comes together and says, bring out the strangers. We want to harm them. He's put at risk, not by the stranger, <laughs> but by his community that is suspicion, that is suspicious of the strangers. The offer of hospitality, whether it's the danger perhaps from a stranger that you don't know, or a risk that he might bring with him from outside threats, this is the moment that confronts our values of comfort and security. What will we risk for the sake of the stranger? That's the challenge. Because this really gets down to really what we believe. Will we risk these things, our personal peace and affluence, our security and our comfort, for the sake of a stranger? Will we really toss out a welcome mat with an unqualified invitation that says, arrive unannounced, stay as long as you like? Jesus lived that kind of hospitality. He took up the cause of outcasts. He showed care and compassion for strangers on the margins. And by so doing, he incurred the disdain of the religious leaders. So in Luke chapter 15, we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Got him at cross purposes with the religious leaders. And ultimately, his hospitality would cost him his life. But that was the purpose all along. He came into the world as a stranger to become a strange from his father in order that we who were estranged from the father might be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. It's a gospel of hospitality. Because in Adam, we have suffered alienation. We're alienated from God. We're alienated from one another. We were alienated from our home. Adam and Eve were evicted. They lost their home. They were homeless in the world. And so were we. But now in Christ, we are reunited and brought home. So Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And then Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Since then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Jesus himself gave up the comfort and the security of heaven. Now I just want you to, in your imagination, this is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is used to heaven, the glories of heaven, the adoration of angels, always hearing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He himself who dwells in unapproachable light, who is unapproachable light. And he comes into the world. He gives that all up. He gives up his life, ultimately, so that we might be welcomed into his heavenly home. That's the example we're to follow. We are to extend the same welcome to others. Might it cost you? Yes. Might be a monetary cost. Might be emotional cost. It's certainly the time cost. But it's no more than what it cost Jesus to bring you home. He asks nothing of us that he hasn't already paid. So if we're to claim him, we must welcome others as he did. We are to walk the way Jesus walked. Now, it's one thing to welcome others, to show hospitality occasionally. But it takes effort and commitment to ingrain into a church a culture of welcome. To move beyond our comfort zones, to embrace the stranger who is not like us, looks different, smells different, talks different, to avoid the inside jokes and obscure language. Infralapsarianism. Atonement. Calvinism. Geneva. These are words that don't mean much to strangers. And here we have a shorthand, we have a nomenclature that we use within the Reformed Circle. And no doubt you yourself as a congregation have your own stories and you know them. The longer you've been here, the more acquainted you become with those. But the newcomer doesn't know. Newcomer wouldn't have known that there was childcare until partway into the service. A newcomer perhaps still wouldn't know where the bathrooms are. I don't know. Just minor things. But how does a newcomer feel coming in? 
We need to learn to show genuine interest. By the way, that takes time. Far beyond the cost of money and those kind of things. Hospitality takes time. And that's what we perhaps are most reticent to give up. Is our time. To ask genuine questions of the other and then to listen. To arrive early to greet newcomers and visitors, to stay late to talk, and then to receive them into our homes. We had a young homeless woman that visited our church plant in Maryland with two little children. And morning service, and we kind of asked her, said, well, where have you been staying? And she said, in her car. And we said, come to our house. Stay with us. We didn't really know what we were committing to. Weren't really sure she would come. But she did. Came to our townhouse. I remember that night calling my father and my mother and saying, hey, just pray for us. We've welcomed a woman into our home with two little children. They've got one of the bedrooms. Our son, one or two, just one, is gone to bed the next bedroom over, and Vicki and I are going to bed. Just pray. And that's what we did. We prayed. And then went to bed. And had this experience in the morning. She was thankful and went on her way. Not sure whatever happened to her. But it took time. There was a risk. We didn't know her. But that's the cost. And we had to talk this through. What's the worst that could happen? We die. Well, we're already dead and alive in Christ. So take that one off the table. She could harm our son. Yeah, but he's baptized, so he belongs to God already. He's just been entrusted to us, and we think we're doing the right thing by faith. He'll take care of him. There's nothing to stand in the way of us welcoming her. And that was the first of many that came through our home in various kinds of ways. Sometimes we took more prudent protections than at other times, depending on who the person was. But that was the risk, but that was the cost to show hospitality, to welcome strangers. We, we won't do that, actually, until we acknowledge that we ourselves were strangers in need of hospitality, and that in Jesus, we received it. Because only then will our hearts be freed from fear and suspicion and greed, so they might actually welcome others in the name of Jesus. When we realize that Jesus spared nothing to welcome us, then we'll actually be ready to risk everything to welcome others with the hospitality of the gospel without complaint. That's what Peter says. Show hospitality without complaint. When we really allow what Jesus has done to sink into our hearts, then we're willing to spend and to be spent for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
So you might need to sit for a while and talk amongst yourselves for a while to answer the question, what will it mean for you as a church to develop a culture of hospitality? Not a culture of entertaining, but a culture of hospitality. What will it mean for you as a church to really, truly love the stranger? What might need to change in your own habits or in your own heart to truly allow you to welcome strangers? Ask the Spirit. He'll show you. He'll convict you. It'll be uncomfortable, but he'll do that. And then be intentional about loving strangers. Because in the midst of our alienation, God so loved us. And in Christ, he welcomes us into his family. So we are to do the same. To show our love for Jesus by gladly welcoming strangers in his name.